I mean, Hamilton is all over TikTok, which is insane. Um, that's not something I thought I would ever say last year, but here we are. <laughs> what was TikTok a year ago? Who even knew? Opening night, I am there for Diana on Netflix. <laughs> 100%. I mean, it's so cliche to be like, oh, stars just like us, but now they actually are. <laughs> Poor guy's head is spinning. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Off to Broadway, the podcast where we deep dive into anything and everything musical theater from the comfort of my car. I'm Tara. I'm Stefania. And in today's episode, we're talking all about virtual theater. So it has been six months since the theater shut down which means that we have been trying to find ways for the last six months of how to enjoy theater while not actually going to the theater. So we thought that we should take the opportunity to talk about some of our favorite things that we have seen in the virtual realm. I think we need to start this virtual theater conversation with the first piece of virtual theater we saw because this was virtual theater done right. And I know that you would agree. We're talking about Significant Other, which was part of Broadway's best shows. Now, I'm sorry that we're talking about this six months later because it came out in May and it was a one night only thing, so you cannot go back and watch it. But wow, what a highlight. We enjoyed it so much. It, it gave me the feeling of being in a theater watching something live that we hadn't, like, we hadn't had in so long. And like, I don't think we have had really since, and I don't think we're gonna have for a long time. And What I loved about it was the event of it, that it was one night only, and it hit me with the same, or even maybe even more emotions than it would have hit me on stage. And also, if we weren't in this whole pandemic, I don't think we would have gotten to see it in this form. We were texting during it, which we would never be able to do during actual theater. (laughs) We were texting during it. Maybe we'd normally just be like quietly whispering to each other, but we were texting and talking about how much we loved it. And it was about characters who are around our age, so maybe even related to the characters and saw ourselves in some of the characters. Um, And we are getting cast coming back together or performances or people who wouldn't be available or people who wouldn't be able to all be in the same place at once come together to create something. And I think Significant Other, which we both loved, was a prime example of that. So to talk about that cast a little bit, it's Gideon Glick, Lindsay Mendez, Sass Goldberg, and Rebecca Naomi Jones are our lead characters, I would say. Mm-hmm. And then there's some other people that show up here and there. And we love Gideon Glick. We've loved Gideon Glick for a while. And to see him in this role was something I didn't know that I needed. And four words that everybody needs to know from this production. Because you love me. <laughs> I gotta cry again. Oh my god. Sorry, the end of that play really hit me so badly. (laughs) Also, on like a lighter note, but also Uh a great song, I Hope You Dance. (laughs) (laughs) That play was so funny and like sad. Yeah. Uh, Pulling myself together. (laughs) Pull yourself together. Um, I had scrolled back to our messages from May just to see kind of what we had chatted about. And we talked about the how's your social life line and how <laughs> that is very relatable to today. Um, and also, I think one of the most beautiful lines in that show is that the book is is long. This is just a rough chapter. And mm-hmm. we all feel that at certain times of our lives. I know mo- most of us um, have been feeling that for the last six months. So I don't know. I feel like it just came out at the right time. Yes, we were only a couple months into quarantine and isolation and all that, but... We haven't stopped talking about it since May, so it really stayed with me. And I want to see a regional production of it. I want to see Gideon do like a one-man show of it. Like, (laughs) I just want to see it so many more times. I know. I want to be in the room when it happens, if you will, or the room (laughs) where it happens. Um, I fully agree. I think that the fact that it was one night only was something that really attracted me to it and made me motivated to watch it because I have to be honest, I've had a really hard time with virtual theater this whole quarantine. Which is like, I feel the opposite, right? Which is very Mm -hmm. interesting. It is interesting. I have been so unmotivated to watch any of it. Um, I will even talk about Hamilton. I have not seen the Disney Plus version because... (laughs) But but that's because you don't have Disney Plus. (laughs) This is true, but you know... I know people who subscribe to Disney Plus just to watch it and then canceled, and I could have done the same, but I just, when it was coming out in a theater, in a movie theater, that was the plan, I was so excited to go see it, even though I'd seen it on stage, I was very lucky to have seen it on stage, 
But when they released it at home for your home TV, that kind of deflated it for me. The fact that it's just so easily accessible there at any time. I was kind of like, I don't care anymore as much. Mm -hmm. And I think that's been a lot of the issue for me, like with the virtual theater is that it is so accessible. It is not as special anymore. Um, and like what I miss about going to the theater is going there and sitting down and being in a room where it could only happen on this one night and this one time. And mm-hmm. I think that is what for me virtual theater is missing and why I've been kind of so like meh, like ambivalent. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, I feel sometimes that way, but most of the time I am, I will take whatever I can get. And mm-hmm. I think this is also due to the fact that I've we've said this on a couple episodes. Um, I see so many things twice or three times. Mm-hmm. So for me, the accessibility is just like, oh my god, I can watch this another time. I can't wait to rewatch this because I had such a great experience the first time around, and now I want to do it the second time. And specifically with Hamilton, um, which I had said to you when it came out, and I watched it that first night. Um, mm. There are parts of that filmed version that elevate the stage show because of how close those cameras get to the cast members. And Mm -hmm. most people that are going to see Hamilton because of how expensive the tickets are, are just buying whatever seat they can get. And you get what you get, you don't get upset. Whereas this, now you can see all of the facial expressions and you can see all of these little behind the scenes things going on. As a behind the scenes lover, I like to see the close-up where, yes, I've been lucky to see Hamilton from the front row off of a cancellation ticket, but I know that (laughs) not everybody has had that chance. So I love that it's given so many people that chance. I also think it's so funny because Hamilton has been out for so many years now, (laughs) but everyone is like having that Hamilton effect. (laughs) Everyone's got a hot take right now. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone does. And people are picking up on controversies that like might not have been addressed years ago. And it's been more of a conversation now um which is great that people are talking about it but yeah just like the billboard charts and everything like that i mean hamilton is all over tiktok which is insane um (laughs) that's not something i thought i would ever say last year but here we are (laughs) it's true what what was tiktok a year ago who even knew um i agree i do think one of the key things about this has been accessibility and that so much more has become accessible to people all over the world who are not specific to one geographic location or who can travel to a geographic location and it is available for anyone to watch for the low fee of whatever 7.99 disney plus is you get a front row ticket to hamilton and it is not Mm -hmm. the same it is different and it provides a different experience but it's experience a lot of people wouldn't have had otherwise um i do think that that is a huge 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 benefit of accessibility i think it was our favorite musical theater actor james corden who once said (laughs) He thinks that streaming services will save theater, will save musicals, and or have the opportunity, have the ability to save musicals, save theater. And I kind of agree, even though I'm not that interested in watching them. I do believe that preserving, taping, finding a way to compensate the actors, compensate the creatives, and then having them available for people to watch wherever in the world is kind of the future of theater in in a backwards way. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we have been to the movie theater to see, we saw Newsies in the movie theater. Uh, We saw Everybody's Talking About Jamie. We saw Falsettos, um, which a lot of those are on Broadway HD right now, which is great that that is, they have their own library of shows. But I think most recently in the last like year, there's been so many announcements. I mean, like this week alone, The Boys in the Band is going to be on Netflix. Um, right. And that is the original Broadway cast. It's a fully filmed version, but it will be on Netflix. The Prom was just announced that it's coming to Netflix in December, December 11th this year. Both of those due to, you know, our Lord and Savior, Ryan Murphy. Um, yes. <laughs> he is another person who has been a champion for theater and in media and on in creating content, starting, you know, back with Glee, let's say, he has always been bringing musicals and theater and singing into our homes. And so for him to then move to Netflix and be able to film 
the boys in the band with the original Broadway cast and to bring the prom, however we feel about that cast, but to bring it into people's homes and bring that story and the music into people's homes, I think is good. We'll see it when we see it. Yeah. And and look what opened the Toronto International Film Festival this year. Uh, it's David true. Burns American Utopia. Like that is yeah. not something that I would think would have happened. But I mean, that is exclusive to Toronto. Um, it will be on HBO in October. We mm-hmm. will watch it but uh, directed by Spike Lee. Um, I don't know. It's Is there a pull for musicals? Are people that are not us interested in musical theater now? Maybe. <laughs> Sometimes. Well, let's talk about Diana on Netflix. Oh, I forgot about that one. <laughs> so the Broadway musical Diana was in previews when Broadway shut down on March 12th. So they all had to go home without opening. And it was recently announced on Netflix that they were going to be filming that production and releasing it for um, viewing on Netflix before the show even made it back onto Broadway. But they were going to isolate the cast, blah, blah, blah. I don't know this stuff. And I think I said, why Diana? (laughs) This is a huge good question. Why Diana? I do think she is a little bit in the zeitgeist. Though, isn't it interesting? They're going to do Diana on Netflix and then didn't um, Harry and Meghan just sign a Netflix deal? Am I wrong about that? Yes, they did. Yeah. And also, not that... I think Diana, from what I read, is coming out in 2021, but, like, the mm-hmm. new season of The Crown starts. I think they're just, like, really trying to get all of this royal into everyone's minds. That's and maybe true. They're hoping, maybe they're hoping that, like, the people that watch The Crown are going to turn on Diana. I mean, we will watch it. Oh, oh, 100%. I will watch it. This this I'm more excited for than Hamilton on Disney Plus, if I'm being honest. <laughs> well, because we know what Hamilton has to offer. We have yeah, no true. idea. This is new. This is brand new. Like Opening night, I am there for Diana on Netflix. <laughs> 100%. I had thought with an announcement that Diana was going to Netflix that it would follow with an announcement of we are not opening on Broadway. This is our show. They're still opening on Broadway. They're still planning to open on Broadway May 25th, 2021. Yeah. Which seems optimistic, but we'll go with it. Yeah. And I mean, the other the other movie musical that was meant to come out this year obviously did not due to the pandemic is In the Heights. Um, that right. has been rescheduled to next year, which is because John Chu and Lin-Manuel Miranda said that they want that movie to be shown in a movie theater to have that experience. So I agree. I want to see that movie in a theater. I want to party to that movie on the big screen. I, I think musicals do deserve those big openings on that big screen and a wide release, just like blockbusters. So I'm yeah hopeful that next summer we'll be we'll feel comfortable enough to go into a theater, or you know, watch it. In the Heights might just show up next to Hamilton on Disney Plus. So it might, <laughs> it might. But you know, or maybe we'll be driving to the drive-in next summer to watch In the Heights. And that's, that so. like in the drive-in could be that would fun. be fun. Like in the dead of summer when it's hot. Yeah. Let's bring it back to the virtual aspect. What are some things that you have been interested, even though it's been a few things? I've been spending a lot of time on TikTok, okay? And I've been delving into the musical theater TikTok. I like a ranking video. We've seen it. We've seen it. (laughs) (laughs) I like when people try to recognize songs. Uh, I like just like funny sketches about musicals. I think one minute or less is prime Uh, length for things for high comedic value and I really think (laughs) TikTok has been fun in that I don't know what has your relationship to TikTok been during this whole thing so we have an off to Broadway TikTok account go follow us (laughs) um, what that means is both of us on the app we I guess share and we share see. a TikTok account. <laughs> well, yeah, we share the account, but I see like on the for you page, obviously things that you're also watching mm-hmm. or things that I'm watching. So our TikTok for you page for everybody listening that doesn't know. I mean, I don't even know if I can explain this because I'm not sure I know, but <laughs> I assume the for you page is kind of like the explore page on Instagram where it's like mm-hmm. it pulls the things that you click on the most or watch the most, yeah. like the most, all that stuff. Um, ours is only musical theater. <laughs> And, and like what you should buy on Amazon. That is really. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. What is the one that's your favorite? Like something in my New York apartment just fits or something. <laughs> yes. Things in my New York apartment that just make sense. Which is funny because I would say that on my YouTube homepage, it's mm-hmm. kind of like the same thing. Like I have the Broadway videos. I have the home decor the like what to buy on Amazon. So my TikTok and YouTube feeds are very similar. I agree with you. I like the short form 
format of TikTok. Sometimes I love the 15 second ones because if you can get out what you need to get in 50 sec- 15 seconds, good on you, first of all. Um, but when you're scrolling endlessly, like I do at 1.30 in the morning, you just want that really short video. Sometimes I wonder if we're both on there at the same time, just scrolling. We definitely are. <laughs> because it's so short, it is a great way for established performers and also not as established performers to sing, put their voice out there and mm-hmm. for people to be exposed to new voices. I think there are a lot of, you know, funny content creators in the musical theater vein who I have become fans of just from watching them on TikTok and watching them sing, watching them do impressions of people, watching them <laughs> rank things or suggest cast mm-hmm. albums. On the complete opposite spectrum of short form, I love a long form sometimes. And something that I have watched pretty consistently for the last six months is Seth Rudetsky and his husband, James Wesley, doing Stars in the House. Um, I have referenced this on previous episodes. They get casts together to do reunions where they have these big sometimes hour and a half long conversations about the show. And I love them. I've watched so many of them. Some highlights are the Newsies episode, specifically (laughs) because it brought us the joy of Ben Fankhauser watching himself sing (laughs) Steph. Poor guy's head is spinning. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. You Um, Thank you for doing that. (laughs) You're welcome. You told me... Uh, ben Fang has her, had to sing this line over and over again. And I was like, poor. <laughs> I knew immediately what line. <laughs> I am a fancy. Yeah. Um, that one was really good. Yesterday, I watched the Next to Normal one, which was amazing. A highlight from like way back was the SpongeBob cast reunion was really funny. I love the SpongeBob cast reunion. I like the story that Wesley Taylor tells about almost killing someone. That's my favorite. Yeah, with a symbol. Um, and we also recently watched a bit of the Be More Chill episode, which was really fun. I really When like that Will one too. Roland started singing <laughs> as Kermit the Frog. There's just a lot of stuff that happens. One of my favorites that I talk about is the Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist episode. I was a huge fan of that show. And I just think they were all so funny on there. For some reason, Mary Steenburgen's mic wasn't working. So Seth kept kicking her out and bringing her back. And they kept trying to make something work. And it just really made me laugh and it brought me joy and I just think Seth and James Wesley are both so so funny hosting that show and they're good at keeping time and bringing out fun anecdotes and that is kind of the stuff that I do love which is behind the scenes stuff and finding like oh what is that one weird thing that happened only one time or why was this person's costume like this or what happened during this quick change and that is always this kind of stuff that he brings out or why the entire cast of Pippin said no to Diane Paulus the first time around that's the stuff uh, the I want to know the Pippin one was also good <laughs> The sideshow one that I watch because I I love me some sideshow where Alice Ripley and Emily Skinner talk about how they separated only one time on stage or during a performance and it was during the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, the most important performance ever for everyone watching. And that is the kind of stuff that you only get. Um, with Seth and with these reunions that wouldn't be happening otherwise. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's interesting because Seth had a serious satellite radio show where he would have similar conversations with these actors. Um, But you have to pay for that. You have to Mm -hmm. pay for XM. And this is free on YouTube. You can donate to the Actors Fund. Um, They have raised, I think, just over $400,000 so far as we're recording this episode. Um, I know that there's a running tally on their website, but... These guys have been going every single day for the last six months to bring content to theater fans and just any fans. I have really loved these deep dive conversations and Seth Rudetsky seems like the only person that everyone is willing to spill (laughs) their entire life to. So I love it. Seth Rudetsky puts out Stars in the House on StreamYard and that is the reason that we record on StreamYard. That's true. We... We got inspiration. We were recording on Zoom like many other people, but uh, StreamYard's where it's at, if I'm being honest. I, there's something about watching people in their homes do this kind of homemade thing that I like, if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree. Something like when John Krasinski was doing some good news, the like homemade aspect of it was what made it magical. And I do think that the way that people are just in their bedroom singing or trying to create this whole staged event just with what they have on hand at home. Even talking about something like um, Michael Yuri doing, what is it called, Buyer and mm-hmm. Seller, the one-man show he's done many times alone in his basement with, I think, his boyfriend passing him props and doing camera work behind the scenes. That is 
exciting and electric and that is the closest thing to capturing live theater but something that like I loved the miscast performances where people take a real leap you know I love a good ballad I love when people nail a ballad but for me my favorite this year was Beanie Feldstein just like dancing through life dancing through life swaying through her house (laughs) and her driveway and her street because that is truly a song she would never get an opportunity to sing otherwise and she was making the most of it and making the most of her surroundings and you see her having all these ideas of what to do she's like okay now i'm gonna do this now i'm gonna do this now i'm gonna call Kristen. now i'm gonna spin around here and i'm gonna use this prop in her house and i'm just imagining the person doing the camera work like okay 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 and you know it's someone they probably have a close relationship with coming and doing the camera work and the way it feels like something that we would make at home that these Mm -hmm. celebrities or more famous people or professional actors are doing at home the way we would is what's endearing to me what I enjoy watching yeah it brings that realism to it that it's like you're not just a you're not just an actor on stage I actually see what you are like off screen in a way mm-hmm. even though you're on screen for this performance um her singing to her dog was also great That's in funny. that performance <laughs> um one that i loved was norbert leo butts's take on i don't know how to love him from jesus christ superstar it was a rock version <laughs> of it he always sounds great but on this song it was like nice. whoa where did that voice come from it's always been there we love norbert <laughs> But just to speak on on what you were talking about with the at-home aspect, I think back to way earlier in this pandemic when Broadway.com was doing, you know, the Stephen Sondheim celebration and they did a Mother's Day celebration. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it was Sutton Foster. And she had like a white sheet up in her yeah. house to create a backdrop. <laughs> That's what we and would do. <laughs> it was, yeah, like exactly. Everyone is trying to, everyone ordered a ring light on Amazon. You know, everyone ordered a ring light. And they've also ordered some sort of like, backdrop or she you guys can't see this but like I made a corner of my bedroom into a podcast setup because I knew that we were going to be here for a while so Mm -hmm. this is like my spot that I record now and I don't use it for anything else I mean it's so cliche to be like oh stars just like us but now they actually are are just (laughs) like us that was a huge thing about Saturday Night Live from home is watching these people who are paid a lot of money you know, using whatever props they have in their house to create comedy or watching American Idol from home, watching these people mm-hmm. sing do these huge performances from their couch or from their bedroom that their dad has strung like string lights up behind for the ambiance that whatever producer told them to do, go to Lowe's and buy yes. whatever. And that is like, that has been like the endearing part of it because when everyone is stuck at home, you know, it's a different kind of home maybe, but it is kind of a bit of an equalizer. Yes. Um, to play off of that, something that I watched and I bought on Vimeo was A Killer Party. And this featured so many Broadway <laughs> stars. We're talking Laura Osnes, Jared Spector, Alex Newell, Jeremy Jordan, Carly Carmelo, Michael James Scott, Jackie Burns, uh, Christina Alabato, Drew Galing, Miguel Cervantes, and Jessica Keenan Wynn. And these, this was a nine- Part musical series. Original music. Um, murder mystery, which we love a murder mystery. And everybody was in their own homes, except for Jared Spector and Laura Osnes, because this was filmed way back and they had isolated together for 120 days. <laughs> so they were together and her husband was filming and he's a photographer. So you know that their shot was the best. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was so interesting because they would do it basically in Zoom boxes of the characters talking to each other. And when they would all be sitting at the dinner table for the murder part of it, it was all different boxes. Um, And each character sort of had their own episode, their own song. um, And that was the way to show we are not together. But Jessica Keenan Wynn was the detective. So she had to interact with every single person in that show. So she would open a door and it would lead somewhere else and she would hold up a prop and then the other person would grab it through their video screen it was very like 
at home movie style, but that's what I liked about it, that it was mm-hmm. so first of all, it was ridiculous. Like it was so <laughs> bizarre and funny. It was an interesting concept and to see that something was done. I'm going to use the term low budget, but not in a bad way. To see it done like that was like, oh, there could be other things done like this. And it kept me interested for the weeks that it came out. So I highly recommend watching and buying A Killer Party. Um, my favorite song from this from this nine-part musical, which the cast recording is fully out on all streaming services, is Big Cat, which features Jeremy Jordan and Drew Galing. It's insane. They filmed it on a green screen and... Yeah, that's all I'm going to say about it. <laughs> we're a pack and we're in together. Not a crap from Andrew Lloyd Webber. It's a thrill to kill when I'm out of the crowd. And you're going to hear me grow. There's a big cat. There's a big cat in me. It's safe for a car. Which is it? A cougar Jeremy Jordan just hanging out in his basement at all times, you know? Or the closet, like, you know. I mean, speaking of him for a second and back to Stars in the House, he was one of the first ones that I watched was Jeremy Jordan and Ashley Spencer in their their home, and he was doing a bit of a concert. And, you know, they have a new baby, Mm -hmm. and she was a part of that broadcast, and they Mm -hmm. sang, and she was around, and they were in the basement, and he couldn't get his music working. It was just, like, that whole real-life aspect Mm -hmm. is... Like you said, like that's what we want. That's what that is what's keeping me interested. Not something super polished that they're trying to pass off as something. I I like the like homemade ness of it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, speaking of murder mysteries, um, so something we did with our friends was have a Zoom murder mystery. We use Broadway murder mystery. They're at BWA Mysteries on Instagram, and the mystery that we used was Bullets Over Broadway, and we recruited all of our friends and gave them all characters from this and we did a three-hour murder mystery we dressed up we were all in costume everyone came full costume zoom backgrounds full character and had i think it was an amazing time so 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 much fun and it was a way for us to virtually be together to act to do something we would normally do in person and it was one of like my favorite nights of self-isolation, if you will. I totally agree. Yeah, 100%. And I also think about all of the, t- the time what everybody else that w- is in my house, what they heard. <laughs> I was screaming in that. Tara was the murderer, so. <laughs> um, and nobody guessed me, so I did it very well. Sorry, not to like get on a tangent, but there were two murderers and I guessed the other murderer. And I told my friends and they all guessed <laughs> because I said. <laughs> well, so the interesting the interesting thing about that specifically, um, I don't know that this was made for Zoom. I think you could play it other places. Play it but um, with Zoom, there's a function break rooms. You can go to you can place yourself in different rooms. Um, you do need a paid account to do that. We did find out the hard <laughs> way. But um, it was very interesting because there was about 16 of us playing and we all split up over time. And then we were called back to the main room to get more evidence or to vote or whatever it may be. It's a good icebreaker. It's three hours of like insane things. Um, and it was really fun. And I totally agree. It was like such a highlight um, in this pandemic. And to continue on the the line of murder mysteries so much murder <laughs> there i mean but murder mystery is kind of the easiest thing it's to fun. do it's a way to boxes. connect it is a great way to connect yeah. and it's a way to keep people interested in the story because you don't know the endings you're trying to figure it out but yes go on so i bought i don't know a couple months ago it was the first ever broadway whodunit um andrew barth feldman set this up with the help of obviously his super sidekick <laughs> alex boniello and it featured so many different people it was so much fun and it was um through their website and you watch along with an entire audience I think when I was watching at one point there was like 800 other people watching as well and you literally go from room to room you as the person who bought the event travels from room to room and you watch these side conversations and you try to figure out who what who is the murderer and to watch these actors who I already watch all the time just improv for two hours straight 
was so much fun. And to just read all of the comments of what everybody was saying, I loved it. I know that he did another one that was really successful and I know that they're trying to keep this thing going. So I also recommend Broadway Who Done It because again, as we were saying at the beginning of this episode, it's a one night only, does not live online, and it is basically improv the entire time. So you are paying for a show in a sense. Mm-hmm. It's an event and that's what makes it exciting is that it is that night mm-hmm. and you cannot catch it later. Not murder mystery related, but pandemic related. There was a brand new musical that was created. I think it was like exclusively for the official London Theatre YouTube page. Don't quote me on that. Um, it was called The Space Between, which starred David Hunter and Caroline Kay. Um This is a story about a couple that sort of got into a fight right before coronavirus hit, and then they started isolating separately and tried to keep their relationship going, kind of, but then they ended up breaking up over FaceTime, and it was sad. (laughs) It was, it was pretty emotional, you know, because it's, uh, it felt real. It felt, uh true to what was happening at the moment. Yeah. I also think this might be the first musical to take on the pandemic. But yeah, the music is is really pretty in that. And that also felt like the right place to release that, obviously, because the breakup happened over FaceTime. Something that has really kept my attention or something that has been exciting for me to watch, I love cast reunions doing a music video of a song from their show or a song from their show that didn't get to open. So, or something, I don't know, a reunion. I don't even know. Uh, Some that I loved, I loved the opening by Company we've talked about on our previous episode. You know my love for Company, but also that show was still in previews, didn't get to open, and then they filmed their opening number and all their Zoom boxes. And it was, I love that show because it is literally about being in the company of other people and to kind of repurpose it for not being able to be in the company of other people was really interesting. Um, Another one Mm -hmm. that the A New World music video um, from Songs for a New World. I know that was like an early introduction to Songs for a New World for Tara. But and I can say, honestly, after watching that video, I haven't stopped listening to Songs for a New World. It's amazing. I love that one because it uses singers but also so much dance in that um in that video and watching it i feel like i can tell like each of the dancers was given so much freedom to create their movement to that phrase that they were given and i love watching some of them are in their house or in their backyard or in a park i love that Mm -hmm. um i also loved there was one from um the cast of the ladder we get which had a production back in february in calgary they reunited over Zoom and did a production of a song of their song called This Dance Is For You. The show ends at a prom and a lot of students didn't get to do their prom. So they dedicated this this number to all the students who didn't get to go to prom. And they did the choreography all alone in their house and they all dressed up for prom and put on their prom outfits and put on This Dance Is For You. And that one got me emotional because... I, thinking about all of these students who didn't get the experience they normally would have in that moment, and I loved, I just like that song, and I love that cast and that show, and I, like, I was sad to not be able to see it, but getting to a little piece of it. And also, um, mm-hmm. this, a UK musical called The Rhythmics. They had done a workshop, and were supposed to do a production, but obviously, as many other productions were, was derailed by the pandemic. So they went into isolation and recorded their cast recording. So the song that they released on music video was called Got Your Back. And we actually had the opportunity to talk to the writers of this musical, Poppy Burton Morgan and Ben Glassstone. So we're gonna send you over to our interview with them now. We are so excited that you guys reached out to us because one, we've never talked to anybody from the UK. So this is very exciting. Um, We are here today to talk about your new musical, the Rhythmics. This is an interesting show 
I would say, because it's about rhythmic gymnastics. And I would never think to put that concept together with a musical. So what was the inspiration for this show? Wow, there were so many answers <laughs> to that question, Ben. Do you want to go first? Uh, uh, yeah, I think we, we both kind of came, came together and found it for different sort of reasons in a way. Uh, Poppy's got quite a personal sort of angle on it. And I've got a slightly personal angle on it too. But um, the actual rhythmic gymnastics was, was Poppy's inspiration. So she can tell you about that. But um, the sort of world of it, of these kind of middle-aged men who go on this journey and, you know, to discover this it's shared interest and um, uh, and it, the kind of sports movie aspect of it. Um, that world, well, I, I, I remember I was writing a song for a friend's 40th birthday <laughs> and kind of that kind of poise, that moment in life when you're thinking about, you know, what does it all add up to? Um, particularly men, I think, and the, their sort of excitement of youth and trying to make it make sense as they get older. Uh, and that was a world in which I, I felt I had something to say. And then it sort of coincided with something that Poppy had in her background in her life as well. So maybe you can explain about that. Um, sure. Well, I'll say briefly about the, the so it's a slightly autobiographical, um, the, the rhythmic gymnastics is, is the kind of setting for it, but it really follows a, a father-daughter relationship, uh, which is kind of loosely based on my own um, relationship with my father, who will undoubtedly listen to this. Um, so I will not be offended if I call him a slightly uh, hapless single father. Um, <laughs> but that but that relation, that sort of father-daughter relationship of um, slightly hapless, slightly hopeless single dad and a kind of precocious, nerdy teenage daughter uh, felt, well, it felt easy for me to write because I lived it. But also I think it's <laughs> something we don't always, or, or how, we don't see a lot of that on stage. And to actually answer your question about the rhythmic gymnastics. Um, so I, a lot of the work that I have my own theatre company, a lot of the work that I've made over the last 15 years has been, uh, has integrated circus and theatre or hip hop dance and theatre. So kind of the physical visual storytelling is a really big part of, the work I make as a writer and as a director. Um, and there's some, well, I mean, specifically the rhythmic gym, I mean, I think Ben already touched on this, but the the art form of rhythmic gymnastics, it, or the sport of rhythmic gymnastics is something we typically associate more as a women's 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 sport. Um, and so there was something interesting too about the, the juxtaposition, I suppose, of, of these burly northern blokes kind of delicately twirling these ribbons and everything else that kind of comes out of that and the relationships that they forge and um, sort of discovering, you know, other aspects to their personalities that we might not have see, taken at kind of face value. So just to confirm, no one here is secretly a rhythmic gymnast. So I, I'm not, but I, as a, as a, no, I'm really not. But as a child, I was one of those children who, who did gymnastics and got the badges and did trampolining, and got the badges. And I, so I think that kind of, and it's, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, that was in the distant past, but it's funny how these things kind of stay in your muscle memory. So even now, you know, having had two children and not being any kind of fit athlete, I can still, you know, crack out all sorts of cartwheels and it kind of stays in your muscle memory so I think there is an element of like the the vocabulary of that is still sort of in my mind and my body yeah I'm about as far from being a rhythmic gymnast <laughs> as you can imagine but I did score a winning goal in a football game uh, on Sunday with a bunch of wow. and, and their kids down the bottom of the park so you know That's, you uh, know the feeling you know the, you know the feeling. <laughs> my, my dad is actually a, a quite a, a very well-known ballet teacher so oh, I, wow. I've got a great respect for that sort of physical masculine grace. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of ballet dancers as I've grown up because he taught boys at Royal, the Royal Ballet School. In, in, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not it, I, I like the absurdity of it, but also I could, it's also beautiful. And um, it's very exciting. Obviously, we, we're just having to imagine all the physical side of it at the moment. Uh, probably has been involved in, in obviously trying out some of the choreographic ideas. But to me, it's that's a whole other world that we, you know, I'm looking forward to finding out about. And Although it sounds crazy, the rhythmic gymnastics, visually, you know that there's such a richness there to be explored um, mm -hmm. when the show actually gets to a stage. For sure. I, I wanted to ask, how did you guys meet? When did you start collaborating? What was that process? So we met on a, now I think this exists, um, that, well, this was started in New York. There's a musical theatre writing programme called Book Music and Lyrics. And I think in, in New York, it might have been going for like 20 years. And in the UK, in London, it's been going for maybe seven years. And so Ben and I met on that four years ago now was it four years something like that something like that maybe um, three and in the second and basically you have a series of 
assignments and you get paired up with lots of different, there were 16 of us in our year and you get paired up with different, so I'm a book writer and lyricist and Ben's a composer and lyricist and it's a mix, so the, that class was a mixture of lyricists and composers and you get paired up in all sorts of combinations and then in the second year you pair off Something like sort of some sort of dating thing. You pair <laughs> off and, and you create eight songs together for an imaginary musical. And so Ben and I had already been working kind of professionally in musical theatre and theatre for a long time. Um, but several other people on the course were, were sort of much more just doing it for fun. Um, but Ben and I were like, if we're going to do this, we're going to do a show. We're going to put this show on. We're not just going to do eight songs for the sake of eight songs because this is, our, you know, this is already sort of our livelihood. So we so that's where it began, which is now two and a half years ago. So yeah. it started in that program, the genesis yeah. of the, yeah, yeah. the first eight, yeah. the first eight songs were, were, we were written then. Yeah, we'd oh. heard each other's work and we kind of wanted to work together and then we found a common interest and gradually pursued it, you know, and it's grown and grown. It just, and that's actually not a very long time for a musical. You mm -hmm. know, we've, we've worked quite fast. Musicals can take a really <laughs> long time. To yeah. Write. So we kind of hit it off, I think, creatively from the beginning and it was and really enjoyed the process and it what was nice is it was very equal because we had these complementary skills in that I was doing the music she was doing the book and we were meeting on the lyrics so mm. I think it's so important with the collaboration that you find that you've got the same sort of stake in a project and you can both really push it and and pull each other along when you flag you know so um yeah are all eight of those songs still in the musical or did uh, not no. all of them. No. <laughs> Quite a few, I think of, them only a few of them. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> the thing. You've got to be brave and bold. With you've got to just write and then cut them if you, if you <laughs> cut them. But yeah, often your favourite one goes, and that's mm -hmm. fine when you know it's the right thing. Kill your um, darlings if you. Killing if your darlings. <laughs> But no, there's a couple, two or three. Well, the very, the, the very first song we wrote, which is Waiting to Begin, uh, that is, it, it, originally it was written as a solo for one character, and then the cat, so the kind of characters and story have evolved quite a lot. So then it got given to another character, and then eventually, as it now is in the show, it became a duet. Um, but amazingly, that's, and a lot of the, you know, a lot of that is very much the same thing that we wrote sort of two and a half years ago. But some songs, are, we did a workshop of it. Um, at a theatre called The Other Palace in um, December. And I remember we cut an entire song, I think a day, you know, the day before we did the showing. And Ben, ben remains heartbroken. And we're not going to say the title of that song because it's got a swear word in it. But I, I, I was heartbroken. I think I took it on the chin. That, that's how I remember it anyway. I thought I took it on the chin. Totally mature uh, about yeah. it. Totally yeah. fine. It's kind of, you kind of know when, it, when it's got to happen, especially in a room with performers and, you know, director that I've been, I've been in that situation before when someone kind of taps you on the shoulder and says, you know what, this one needs to go. And it, it's mm -hmm. always the right thing. You, you can feel it and suddenly things can breathe and, and open up. So, you know, it's that trust. You need to have trust with the people you're working with and you can make those decisions. So you guys recorded this cast album while everyone was social distancing, in quarantine, self-isolating. How did that even work logistically? Well, it was great because it, the kind of time, timing was quite good. So initially it was a lot of arranging to do. So I could do that by myself. And then there was a lot of organizing to do and getting you know the cast together and working out how it was going to work. And then, of course, um, once you've created a, a rhythmic guide track, if you like, that's that sound, um, which I did by playing the drums myself, which I really wanted to do to get all the sort of tempo changes the way I wanted them and sort of creating synthesized versions of, of the other parts. So it had a feel uh, and then we could send that out to other musicians. So there's a guitarist somewhere and there's a bassist somewhere else. And in their own home studios, they can add their parts. And that process is actually quite common in, 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 in recording. Obviously, even it's without really lockdown. Even without lockdown, <laughs> yeah. that, that multi-tracking process. And as long as you can get a good feel, um, then you can create something quite good that way and you've got a lot of control over it. Um, but then, of course, when it came to the singers, we were gradually waiting for these sort of the, the lockdown to ease a little bit because we needed to get a certain number of people in a room together. Uh, and the minimum was was one singer, <laughs> uh, one engineer. Well, it was and, all one singer, one engineer. <laughs> It, it, yeah, that was basically what what we could do, and we you know we followed the guidance with, that was there from the musicians' union or whatever. We kind of opened the door for a bit of air every so often. We wore masks. Everyone wore masks except the singer couldn't wear a mask. Right. Um, so there was a whole process that had to be worked out. It was pretty complicated, and and Poppy did some amazing spreadsheets that showed everyone <laughs> where they had to be in different you know, places at different times. Um, yeah, that was the other possible. thing because, of course, we, which again was a sort of blessing. It, it meant that we could kind of 
justifiably hold on to a lot of the people who'd done the workshop in December uh, and just, but one of them was in Brighton. So we had, to, so they came and did their track at a recording studio in Brighton. One of them was in Scotland in Glasgow. So she did hers up there. Um, so hopefully, amazingly, the um, the guy who mixed and mastered the, the album did such an incredible job that you, particularly on the group numbers, you really feel like they're all together in a shared space rather than all across different <laughs> parts of the country recording one voice at a time and then we'd get the right. next layer and then the next person record you know i mean i think it's really impressive especially on the kind of dense rich harmonies that that ben writes yeah but the, the vindication is that the bit that we got a really lovely write-up for was was the bit of really close harmony a cappella singing which was completely, no one was together <laughs> no one was together but we That's managed amazing. to make it sound like a group effort yeah um well we have had a chance to listen to the cast recording which is amazing that you guys got to put that out my favorite song is rockstar you don't seem to understand i'm not the singer in the band i don't want to be the center of attention with a pair of skinny jeans and a purple i love how it starts and then there are some killer vocals on that track um Today, if you were to say what your favorite song is, what is it today? Rockstar is a favorite, but I think actually my funny favorite at the moment is Life's Not a Competition, which is also a solo. Well, it's not, it's a duet. Between the two, but it's also got that same vocalist, Eleanor Kane, who does a lovely job on Rockstar. Uh, and it's her. And that one's quite close to me as well, because another aspect of the show that's sort of personal is my own relationship with my teenage daughter, which has sort of come <laughs> into things. And um, so Rockstar, that very much shows in that one. But also in competition, that sense that young people have at the moment of feeling so under pressure from so many places with so many expectations upon them and so many possibilities about what they should be and how they should live their lives. And uh, that felt very true, thinking about that bit of the vocal and then the sort of idea of this mother figure, stepmother figure coming in and and harmonising with her. It's quite touching. And I just like the way that that turned out. It's a, got a sort of folksiness uh, and a random bit of Hammond organ on there that I quite, <laughs> quite But Ben will know that my favourite song, Daddy, You're My Hero, uh, because it's, well, it's a beautiful, for me, it's a, it's just a, it's a gorgeous tune. But also there's, um, I think, something really powerful and empowering about men realising that being, the fatherhood isn't about being the hero. It's about being there and, you know, just being there to have the conversations and showing up rather than trying to be some kind of perfect Ideal. You never seem to feel the cold when you're holding Daddy's hand. Daddy's hand. Knowing that I'll be there. Knowing that I try. She don't need it. Has the pandemic and the state of the world changed your perspective on anything in the show or anything that you wrote? pre-pandemic i mean i am wondering when we come to stage it for the i mean obviously because so much all of the choreography the rhythmic gymnastics will involve being you know socially undistant um being socially together and it's so much about it's about this physical act of bonding so uh that will things will have to ease for that to happen but also it's a bigger question in my head that will theater and musical theater that is current that is contemporary and set in a contemporary time will we kind of have to reference that reality so one of the things we did um, alongside the album was we made a, a a music video and in the show the the scene where that music video the song that the music video does is is um set in a pub which obviously we couldn't do so we did a kind of drinks over zoom music video which probably in a year's time everyone will be like oh how quaint they will have me drink over <laughs> zoom um but actually, or, or will they? And will that become the new normal? So I suppose there's a part of me thinking, will I? Ha will there come a point where I have to radically rewrite the book to sort of acknowledge the post-COVID universe that the story takes place in? Or will we all just suspend our disbelief? I don't know. It's so much a show about physical togetherness, you know, and community that it would be, um, you know, that it, it, it's, it feels like 
it just means it's even more urgent, if you like, <laughs> that we can get it on a stage and have people have that shared experience of coming to see a show about being together in a physical space together. Um, you know, I, I think we all feel this, um, that we've got these wonderful ways to communicate virtually, etc. But it is not the same things. Something that we noticed in the music video that you released is that there was um, BSL was used, sign language was used. And in the documents that we received about this musical, we read that the World Championship focuses on a fusion of rhythm rhythmic gymnastics and sign language, which is so wonderful to include that. How did this come into play? So I, uh, in some of my other um, musicals, I've worked with um, deaf performers and choreographers integrating sign language with choreography. Um, so partly it's it's sort of, it's a continuation of that. And I'm um, partly politically, it's about kind of the, so one of the characters uh, is, is hard of, well, is hard of hearing, actually not a sign user. And then some of the other characters, one of the characters has a deaf child, so they've learned BSL. Um, so there's a there's a sort of plot point between these two brother characters who sometimes communicate in sign. Uh, so partly there's a there's a, I've got a sort of political agenda about just representing um, deaf and hearing and hard of hearing kind of characters in the universe of the world. Uh, mm -hmm. But also um, I met uh, a choreographer called Mark Smith who choreographed the video and hopefully will choreograph the full mm -hmm. show, um, who is a deaf choreographer and runs a company called Deaf Men Dancing. And a lot of his work integrates sign language into different forms of choreography. And it's just, as, you know, in the same way as rhythmic gymnastics um, to begin with is a kind of really rich visual language. When you add to that British sign language, uh, it becomes sort of doubly so, particularly when the journey for a lot of these men through the story is about learning to communicate more clearly finding the words to say how they're feeling uh, and being able to do that uh, through sign language and sort of visually within the choreography and and sharing their um some of their stories some of their traumas uh felt like a really kind of uh, artistically interesting and, and rich way to do that one of the things i like about it is that it's actually quite normal that in normal life you know people have these issues these problems these differences that's what goes on and you don't always find that in shows on stages and musicals. You tend to set, get very essentialized views of the world and, and sort of, you know, heroic uh, characters and so on. And I think it's just that that's actually something that lends the whole show, I hope, quite an endearingly. It's just part of a, a world, a real world. Um, so we have a bit of a game for you. We call this game Personality Test Drive. Our first question is your favorite road trip cast recording. Easy Rider. That's for a cast recording. <laughs> I was trying to be fast, but yeah, I'm wrong. Yeah, I know, and I was thinking too much. Uh, so, I, I mean, I was going to say Les Mis, which is pretty random for a road trip. but um, It's nice and long, so it it's going to get you long. lots of places. It's oh, I see for taking on a road trip. It doesn't have yeah. to be a road trip musical. No, no, no. <laughs> that would be like, great, though. You should write that, Ben. You should yeah. write that. Yes. Guys and Dolls. Okay. What is your miscast if you were to play a part of the opposite gender? What would it be? I mean, I'll go for Hamilton. Yes. Great one. <laughs> I, I, oh, Tallulah. Yeah, that's sure. great. My <laughs> name is Tallulah. <laughs> sure. That's great. A movie you would turn into a musical. Raising Arizona. Cohen, Cohen so Brothers. I just love that film and I love those characters. Yes, it's an early Cohen Brothers one. Mm -hmm. with, yeah. um, what's, what's his is name? It Holly, is it Holly Nick Hunter? Cage. When Nick oh, Cage was oh. still just, yeah, and Holly Hunter, so mm -hmm. charismatic and appealing and delightful. This would be a really weird musical, but it would be an interesting challenge. Um, a Clockwork Orange. Oh, wow. wow. That yeah. would be, uh, like, using all that double speak to write lyrics would be really uh, yeah. interesting, really cool. A challenge, yeah. for sure. Favourite show you've never seen? Okay, I've, I've not yet seen Dear Evan Hansen, but I compulsively listen to... Um, Oh, what's it called? What, what, um, watching through a window—is that what it's called? Looking waving through, through a window. Waving through a window. See, <laughs> I compulsively listen to it so much I can't remember what the. Song <laughs> is. I I don't think I've ever seen anything goes, and I absolutely love Cole Porter. So yeah. Hmm. What's um, a future project you'd love to collaborate on again? A future dream collaboration. Ooh. Ooh. Well, we should we say about the one that we're doing. Well, we oh, did, exactly. Wow. We really want to do a family show together because we've both done actually a lot of work for families and children, and we think we'd do a really good one. Uh, mm. And we had the idea of uh, adapting a myth, um, Echo and Narcissus. It's a, it's a Greek myth, which Ovid 
uh, made famous. That so it's this the story of uh, this nymph Echo and uh, Narcissus is the flower. I can't remember exactly how it works, but essentially, <laughs> Echo. Vanity. Um, vanity and unrequited love is basically vanity. what you need to know. It's exactly it's it's the combination of these two characters, one who is totally vain and one who is totally desperately seeking love and and reassurance. And uh, it seemed to kind of fit quite well with some of the sensibilities of the modern era, shall we say. Mm. Um, and it's interesting to take these ancient archetypal characters and then do what you will with them. So so Poppy's kind of turning them into a rock band at the moment, which I like. Oh, wow. Uh, so it'll probably yeah. be a kind of gig theatre. I don't even know if that's a thing. Maybe that's a like British thing. But yeah, kind of gig theatre rock musical. Okay. Cool. Um, a musical that you wish you wrote. Hamilton. <laughs> don't we all <laughs> that was easy that was too easy that was great it? i'm gonna have to say matilda <laughs> you barely have to tell the story tell the full story well, then slightly tell the story they won't hear you. just tell it tell the truth okay well i'll tell the story quickly which is that um i did get asked to write matilda uh, at one stage well i think a few other people were but um i got into a room with uh with dennis kelly and and, and wrote some songs for it and um actually it was really exciting and it was a about a year and a half of that. Mm -hmm. I really loved that material. And uh, they asked me to do some <laughs> stuff. And then some time passed. And then different people came in and out of the picture. And then I kind of asked my agent, you know, have they decided yet? And he said, oh, yes, I think they've got a new director now. And then the new director said, yeah, I found this person, Tim Minchin. Who's Tim Minchin? And then I looked <laughs> him up. And I went, oh, Tim Minchin. He's a... <laughs> genius that's not fair so that's literally true i wish i'd written matilda <laughs> very true okay last one what is the last piece of theater you saw before the shutdown so i i um write opera liberty as well and i we did this kind of feminist reclaimed version of madam butterfly I, because it was the last night of the entire tour i went even though lockdown was i mean it was like the mon it was the monday that they said all the theatres are going to close. So all my friends in West End that night, they literally, they left at warm-up and they didn't go home. But quite a few of the regional theatres, they got the, they got the announcement at like five o'clock and they were like, well, we'll carry on and do the show. So it was the last night of that tour, but it was the last show, it was the last performance in that theatre and then everything shut down. Well, um, I, 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 we drove down to see um, a bunch of us actually who'd been on, on the BML course, um, who are friends and composers and lyricists, drove down to see my friend Darren Clark's show, The Wicker Husband, which is an absolutely beautiful piece and had been about seven years in the making wow. um he'd won this um styles and drew mentorship prize which i then won the following year so we met sort of partly through that and um it was a sort of folk musical using lots of folk music uh, based on a short story very very moving very very uh, original and singular and it got like a bunch of five-star reviews didn't it and then it i'm sure it did and I, I just he was saying you know they were saying the writers darren and reese they were saying we think this might be about to close i just couldn't believe yeah. them uh and i'm glad that didn't happen to me and i uh, but i you know he got it on stage uh, they got mm -hmm. it on stage it was a beautiful piece of work yeah what are your future plans with your musical are you looking to do a socially distant theater experience and more virtual performances what are your plans i think well the, the in the short term we because the physical togetherness even just the choreography means that we sort of couldn't do anything with it really but um but also it, it, it logistically it I, it would be really tricky to do it as a kind of outdoor show but we are mm -hmm. touch wood crossing fingers hoping that when things ease off a bit more that we can bring it to you know the world premiere could happen maybe in the spring um and we've got an amazing um co-producer on board katie lipson who is uh she's currently producing um it's a version of um the last five years where the two of them mm, play right. the piano so if mm -hmm. anyone can help get it on um you know soon then so then she can so fingers yeah. crossed I want it to be a real show in a real theatre with a real audience, you know, and it'll take yeah. it, it takes a little bit longer. So be it. But what's uh, been lovely is the digital stuff like this music video and doing the album has meant that we that this show is now reaching Canada and reaching America and reaching for, and sure. reaching kind of all over the world. And actually, had we not done the cast album and had we just gone, oh, we're going to try and get the show on in theatre in London, it might, you know, the the there's something really beautiful about the way the the digital, the blossoming of kind of digital. So speaking of yeah. that, 
where can we find it? It's available on all of the like <laughs> platforms. It's on Spotify and Apple Music and all of them. You can't yet get it on vinyl. I really want to get it on vinyl, preferably mm. red vinyl. And where can we find more updates about the future of The Rhythmics? Oh, yes. Great. So we have a dedicated Twitter account, which is at The Rhythmics underscore or, and also our, my theatre company at Meta Theatre, Meta with two T's, is on Amazing. Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all of them well thank you guys so much for joining us today and again it's so cool to talk to you guys i know we're like two different time zones it's crazy and to actually get to connect in this time i feel like is amazing so thank you for being here and we're really excited to hear about the future of the show thank you so much for having us it was really lovely chatting a big thank you again to poppy and ben for sitting down with us it was so cool to chat with them and we cannot end this episode without our obsession of the week Steph, what is your obsession this week? Okay, so actually this this is an obsession brought to me by uh, Mr. Seth Rudetsky. Oh. He does he does YouTube videos where he kind of analyzes vocal performances in songs and he brought to my attention a really amazing one and it is Billy Porter in the 1994 cast recording of Grease. He plays Teen Angel and Beauty School Dropout on that cast recording is a 9-minute recording because it's like two songs combined into one. And he just does these vocal gymnastics on this song um, that are so much fun. The way he says the word slob is so weird and cool. And it sounds exactly like you would imagine Billy Porter doing it. It has so much attitude and energy. And I love it. And I love the fact that Billy Porter got paid to come out for five minutes. That is that's iconic um and also there's a part where he just like go back to school i don't know he's just yelling at frenchie and i think it's so so good and i think his voice sounds amazing on it and i also just love him and that song is kind of weird in greece and i think billy porter elevates it on this cast recording and i think his interpretation of it is fantastic love Billy Porter. We truly love Billy Porter. An icon. Sticking with the musical entertainment aspect and Netflix specifically, I binged in one day the entire first season of Julie and the Phantoms and I loved it. It was directed by Kenny Ortega. Praise. If you've listened to any other episodes, I love Kenny Ortega. Also, did you see that he said that he wants to do Hocus Pocus? I did as a Broadway musical. musical. Yes, I did. I did see And that. Leslie Margarita and Bonnie Milligan were like, Hello. pick me, pick me. I'm like, oh my God, they would actually be so good. That's a cast. Okay, who's the third person? Who's our third? Someone said Renee Elise Goldsberry, and I That's also great. Yes, yeah. okay, too. correct, 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 correct. But like Leslie Margarita is perfect. Leslie Margarita is casting. perfect for that. Bonnie Milligan, amazing. Yes, I think Renee is yeah. fun. Um, what about like a, like a Patina Miller? You know, ooh, Patina would be good she's too. Kind of, she's kind of, like, she's like evil a little bit. I, she gets gives me like yeah. Vibes. Anyway, I feel like if Kenny Ortega wants this to happen, it might actually happen. So we'll see. Julian the Phantoms was remade from a 2011 show of the same name that was created in Brazil. Um, it's also if anyone has heard of Gem and the Holograms, it's kind of that aspect. To not spoil this, but also to spoil this, um, there are three band members who are ghosts, but when they play music, everybody else can see them. When they don't play music, only Julie can see them. And as soon as they stop playing the song, they disappear. And it is so fun. The music in the show is super fun. Um, it also features villain Cheyenne Jackson. We love Cheyenne we stand. Jackson. We stand. <laughs> and he plays this like magician, weird villain. It's great. There's also a Descendants 3 reunion for a bunch of people. I don't even know if I could tell you something that Kenny Ortega has put out that I haven't loved. So I really think that he has found his thing with these type of shows and movies um, that are for teens. And 
I also love them. <laughs> so I highly recommend Julie and the Phantoms. Go download that cast album because it's so good. I haven't stopped listening to it. And my favorite song is Bright. It is the first song that Julie and the Phantoms perform together. Come on, let's run and rise through the night. You and I, we will fight to shine together. Right forever. And rise through the night. You and I, we will fight to shine together. Right forever. It also features newcomer. This is the first thing she's ever been in, Madison Reyes, and she has such a great voice. She's 16 years old, and I feel like she is one to watch. So, Julian the Phantoms is available on Netflix. Watch it in one sitting because it's like a whole movie, like a Disney Channel original movie, and I think that that is the best way to watch this show. So, amazing. That's what I'm obsessed with so this fun. week. To wrap up our episode on virtual theater, we just want to, first of all, shout out my family friend, Jeremy Ferdman, has a new virtual, I want to call it theater because they are doing some plays. Check out Artists in Residence. They are doing plays over Zoom. They're also having conversations, one-on-one chats, group chats, and they are streaming from Toronto, but also in the States. Um, Olivia Daniels is also a part of this, so check them out on Instagram. Um, for some Canadian content. We love Canadian content. Um, Somewhere where I've been getting my information on virtual theater, which is Canadian, is the Globe and Mail newsletter by um, Kelly Nestruck, Nestruck on Theater. Just, he's been kind of curating and pulling together virtual theater across Canada and has been emailing it into my inbox every week. And now that in-person theater starting up again, it's interspersed with what you can see in person and what you can also see virtually and digitally online. That's kind of been where I've been getting my info on Canadian theater that's been happening throughout this whole time. Mm-hmm. And for any Americans listening, I am subscribed to Broadway in Brief. They are in website, but also send you daily emails. Um, Same thing. They chat about anything that's happening in the the industry, but also if there's an upcoming concert that night, they will let you know, um, as well as any information on these upcoming musical movies. There was information on Diana very recently. And then finally, Broadway World has a streaming calendar on their website, and it doesn't just include musicals. um, It also includes virtual plays, masterclasses, workshops. My recommendation is to follow the people you're fans of on social media and see what they're doing because they will share, they will promote themselves and then support because a lot of actors and performers are out of work right now. So if you can support, whether it's buying a virtual ticket to something or watching a reunion they're taking part in and donating to the cause that it's for, I'm sure they would really appreciate it because it is a tough time. You know, there are a lot of people who are struggling right now with the lack of jobs in performing. So just if you are fans and you can support, that would be great. And also just to point out with these performances, they are not just film yourself, selfie style. Like these people are putting in work and rehearsals and they're doing some amazing things. So totally agree. Go and support your favorites. It's very important. Also, after we talked to Poppy and Ben, Poppy talked about the use of BSL in the rhythmics. And we wanted to highlight Stage Text, a UK charity whose goal is to make live theater more accessible by providing captioning and live subtitling. If you want to head over to their website to support them, we'll share their information on our Twitter and our Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Off2BWAPodcast. That's with the number two. And you can subscribe to our podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. That's including Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podbean. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.